This is Jewish Board Talk with Cherie Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. One of the reasons I love the city of Johannesburg is because of the greenery. While the jacarandas may now be forming a carpet on the ground rather than casting a purple hue on the horizon, there's no doubt that the trees in our city contribute hugely to its beauty. But I've never really thought about the spatial landscape of the trees and how it reflects the way the city has been developed. Shana Rosendorf is currently researching this topic as part of her BA Fine Arts degree at Wits University, and she joins me now to tell me more. Shana, welcome, and thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thank you so much for having me. What an absolutely fascinating topic. How did you get into it? Um, so in studying fine arts, I did a topic um, on in politics about land and landscape. And it was just something that really interested me. So my entire art practice is really structured around um, land and, and landscape and, and that intersecting aesthetic quality of, um, of landscape in that. So um, while my art is centered around making landscapes and constructing them and understanding the spatial relations in that, um, I decided to structure my research paper around the trees of Johannesburg because, as you said, it's something like growing up, it really is a very beautiful aspect of your city that um, affording people shade um, and affording people shade, air, recreation, it really became my starting point. Um, so in that, I mean, speaking about trees, you can't begin to look at Johannesburg without making mention of gold. The presence of gold in Johannesburg really shaped it into the space that it is today. And so in that, it really, the, it, I, I speak about the intersections between gold um, and then the trees. So not only were the first town survey, ta- the ch- first town survey's mine claims, but the city's expansion followed the trail of the gold reef. So that's really the layout of Johannesburg. So in that, the placement of the trees um, in the city are structured um, in protecting the northern suburbs from the mine dust in the south. So that really became something that was like the beginning point um, that was interested about that interested me. Just to go back to what you're saying, it is absolutely fascinating. I mean, the beginning of Joburg, the beginning of mines, the beginning of mines, and so we see our first trees developing. But it must have been quite a green area before. It must have been. Was it not farming areas? Not specifically. Um, it was very much the gold rush that defined the city's early years. It was. It was pretty much quite flat. Um, and then the tree planting boom really began in the late 19th century. Um, in the attempt to settle the dust and cleanse the air from that intense mining activity. Um, it was also necessary to supply poles to support the mine shafts. Um, and so this meant that the trees um, then, as I explained in my paper, the trees then come to represent and partly mask um, one of the most extreme forms of exploitation of nature, which is that, that um, deep gold mining. So then following this, after planting those trees, the city um, began lining these new suburbs with um with ornamental with ornamental trees like jacarandas, London plains and oak trees, um, which all require a significant amount of water to survive. So while Johannesburg is defined as the world's largest man-made forest, it's also defined as the world's largest city not situated on or near a water source. So it becomes a city full of contradictions because we've got these trees, they're necessary for us to um protect us from that pollution of the mining, but at the same time we don't have enough water to sustain it. Um, adding to that, one of the reasons that um, Johannesburg is known as the world's largest man-made forest is because we don't have enough, um, we don't get enough rainfall to classify as a natural forest. I mean, I use the example of a eucalyptus tree, which is otherwise known as a blue gum, which is originating in Australia. And um, they're fast-growing trees, and they require little attention. And they were ornamental trees, 
and they became ubiquitous with modernity um, and growth. And so this evergreen plant comes to like a consume a significant amount of water all year round, um, which is something that Johannesburg is really never intended to naturally maintain. During this time, like in Johannesburg, northern suburbs of Westcliff, Parkview and Marentia, Parkdown, um, that was originally farmland that was sold off to wealthy mining magnets who then quick, who planted these quick growing species, um, which was something that these settlers were familiar. So it goes back to like um, a story of colonization and European settlers coming to a place that was unfamiliar. So in order to make the space familiar to them, um, you plant the trees that that you grew up with or you, you understand to be um, something that is your space. So this is what really resulted in a sea of green that spreads around like the city's central ridges in a relatively northerly direction. And you, you mentioned the blue gum tree, and of course I've mentioned earlier the, the jacaranda tree, which is also not indigenous to South Africa. But who was bringing them out? Who was deciding which trees and where? So it was very much based off um, deciding which trees could potentially um, sit, like work in, in our climate. So they chose areas um, around the world that had similar, relatively similar climate um, life places, like Australia. Um, and so, yeah, so that's it's also then interesting to think about the placement of these trees and where trees are around the city. So if you think about like logically, like what kind of trees would, would line um, roads versus what kind of trees would sit in parks and large and large homes. So homes in, in areas like, like historical areas like Saxon world have very large oak trees um, lining the roads because they had, um, they had grounds to sustain that space. Whereas um, there's, there's research in and they so that com- there's a research that I looked at that compares Rosebank to Soweto, and the way that they have the same climatic conditions, but Rosebank has a significantly higher amount of trees. And so then they looked at the t- type of trees that exist in Rosebank and the type of trees that exist in areas like Soweto, and um, Soweto has a higher number of fruit trees that don't last as long as oak trees. And so the reason that the the fruit trees are in, are in Soweto and not in Rosebank and vice versa, is because there were smaller plots of land. And so there was no reason to have an oak tree that didn't necessarily give anything more than shade. So there was more use for a thing like a um, like a fruit tree that gave shade and that gave fruit and that was actually smaller. Um, so that's, so then in, in that, those trees and the placement of those trees come to represent the spatial dynamics of the city that then represents class. Um, I looked at a very interesting, I found very interesting um, maps and images that I then compared. So there's there's an image of Johannesburg that separates, that has a separation between the north and the south, and then maps out where all those trees are. And so most of the trees exist in the northern suburbs, as I've said. But then if you look at that map next to a map that um, is based on a consensus that shows where different um, racial groups live, um, or like majority of certain racial groups live in Johannesburg, it's very much um, a white um, whiteness follows trees and vice versa. So then also that that comes to represent class and race um, in in in, a, in an aesthetic and a visual in a visual way. So that's something that I found really exciting um, and unique, really in, in Johannesburg. How do you go about doing research? So a lot of reading. I'm a big fan of like I read almost every day um, and. Just looking at images, reading papers. I mean, I've spent like in lockdown. It's not we, in studying art during lockdown is very difficult to physically make work. 
So instead, I read. And so then that text and that understanding of, of concepts then becomes almost more than what the visual artwork looks like. So that's, that's really, um, it's like a lot of reading and a lot of books. I spend a lot of time in the library. That was something that I missed, um, during lockdown. But, um, yeah, I mean, then also, I mean, guess uh, thinking about a book, there was one specific one that I, that I found fascinating. It's called Civilizing Grass, The Art of Law and the South African Heartfelt, with my Jonathan Kane last year, I think. And it, it speaks about keeping the lawn and, keep, and, and about working a landscape and how that's implicated in issues of belonging, ownership, success, failure, gender and race, and how who is the one keeping the lawn and who is the one gaining pleasure from the lawn. And I think that is um, that that inequality comes then um, to be seen in the in the trees and the way that there's they become they come to represent the history but not who planted them and not um, what they were really about and who existed among them. Um, so yeah, that's that was like something interesting when I found the book that wasn't related to trees, but um, and I think like yeah, it comes to comes to represent it as well. Do you so have, then, uh, uh, sorry, Karen. No, go for it. No, Karen. Okay, so then 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 I start to think about the concept of the English garden. So the English garden, it's like how they explain, is um, is something that is a conception of beauty as natural green and something someone just happened upon, something someone discovered as opposed to made. And that's something I always think about every time I go to a park in Johannesburg. With all this grass, that's like not like something that's natural in a place like like South Africa, like Johannesburg specifically in South Africa. Um, but th- there's like this beautiful grass, a couple of trees, like a lake. It's something that you just happened upon um, instead of actually something really constructed and built. Um, and that really is that is how the city is, and that is how the city and the, and the parks and the public spaces were constructed. So that's something that I was quite excited about because it like, then also tracks back to settler history and how that's pretty much what settlers kind of wanted. Um, then, then it comes to speak about, and then I start to speak about beauty and aesthetics. So firstly, you can't necessarily define what beauty is or what aesthetics is because everyone has a different appreciation of beauty. But I take that, um, I take that definition and I really understand it as to what I understand as beautiful. So I, I see the, the forest, I see the beautiful Johannesburg, I drive on the highway and I see the, the um, purple jacarandas and I think, wow, it's beautiful. Um, and nature is beautiful. But then what then is the definition, what then, how then can you define nature and what is natural and what is man-made and what is planted and what is naturally grown? So in that, there isn't necessarily something, not necessarily something that is natural. You can't really define that. So, um, so then adding to that, so then speaking to something of aesthetic value, um, there's something about aesthetics in knowledge production. So there was this something that I read about um, ethics and aesthetics. So there's not necessarily a connection between positive aesthetic valuing of nature and ethical treatment of environments. So it kind of comes from a bit of an intuitive basis. So in an environment that someone knows and appreciates and spends time in, like a place that someone works and lives in, they are more likely to treat it with respect. And so it describes aesthetic appreciation as something that like um, is defined by a dominant class because knowledge, because aesthetics and is, is knowledge and thereby it is learned and then there's a learned behavior. So 
when the trees exist mainly in the northern suburbs and not in the southern suburbs, there becomes a value that gets placed on the northern suburbs as opposed to those, uh, those southern areas. So that also then tracks back to class and social relations, um, which, which is something that then visually is represented in the city. So I think very much the point of it and the point of what I'm writing, the point of my, my art that I make in general is very much about re-looking at something we perceive as natural and re-understanding it and understanding its history and what it comes to imply and what it comes to represent. Um, because it's kind of, they, the trees then become a mask and they become something that covers a scar that of something that's really quite ugly, quite damaging and quite exploitative, even though we appreciate its aesthetics. So it's, it's a contradiction and it's, it's, I mean, I still, I struggle with it because I'm not sure if I should appreciate its beauty or if I should look at it instead and think, wow, like that's really representing something quite, quite awful. Um, quite a, a, like a violent history in, in the city. Shannon, you talk about a violent history in the city. What do you see as going forward, the spatial, the spatial growth of trees in Johannesburg? How do you see it going forward? So that's also something that I've been struggling with and I'm still yet to, to properly conclude. Um, but it's, it's hard because we need these trees now. So these trees become so part of the ecology that we can't not have them, but they also are so, they're also at the same time damage, um, our environment and our natural trees and our water, etc. Um, so going forward, I think, I think there should be like a, there, there are, and there are programs of planting trees in the southern areas, but the real issue is that mine dumps and mines have not been properly greened, um, as they have to block them, them from coming into the northern suburbs. So in the south, and in areas like Soweto and Diplok, there's often clouds of mine dust that cover the areas. And it's like really damaging to people's health. And so I think that's really the way to move forward is by equalizing that green spread across the entire city. It's absolutely fascinating research. How far are you in the research and what do you hope to do with it once it's published? So it's, so it's for, uh, the completion of my, honors degree like a professional degree so it's like a four-year honors program which i have handed in um but it has not been concluded so i think it will be something that i will continue um when i study further in a master's um i think it can be much bigger than it than it is but um it's exciting and i continue to read and continue to find more information about it and yeah hope that i can come to a conclusion Shannon, do you think you'll do your master's on it? Do you think you'll turn your honors into a master's and continue researching the area? Um, there's a lot of research on Johannesburg, like a lot, but I do think there's like a bit of a unique understanding of it. So potentially, I'm a bit sick of it at the moment because it has been something that I've been, I've been reading about and for the whole year already. So I think I do need to take a bit of a break, a step back. And often when you reread something you've written in the past, you come up with new ideas and You've read something else that changes the, the direction of the, of the research, but it is for sure something that, that I will continue with. Well, um, thank you so much for joining me. 23%, I think you said, of our land uh, of Joburg is covered with trees. I've always appreciated them. I've never really thought beyond that. So well done on a really fascinating research topic and uh, good luck with it going forward. Thank you so much.
Thank you very much. That was Shana Rosendorf, who is researching a topic of trees and spatial, um, and how it spatially affects Johannesburg as part of a BA fine arts degree at Wits University.